Welcome to Sinsomnia, a show where I tell you stories in a really boring voice to help you fall asleep. For tonight's episode, I'm going to tell you stories from Hans Christian Andersen, with the first one being probably his most famous story of all, The Little Mermaid. Now, how this story starts off at first is with a description of the water. It starts off saying that the water is so blue, but only at the top. If you believe that the bottom of the ocean is white sand, well, then you would be wrong. There's actually a lot of color and a lot of fish that are at the bottom of the ocean. In addition, there is a sea king's castle that has walls of coral and beautiful structures and glass almost that looks like it's there. Furthermore, there are sunken ships in the water, and that's where there's a lot of treasure and a lot of art that is collected and saved. Now, let's talk about the Sea King. So there's this Sea King that was a widower for many, many years. However, the Sea King had a mother who took care of the whole house, or the castle, and who made sure everything was in line. And this mother of the Sea King is the grandmother of the Sea King's daughters, which are the mermaids, or they'll be referred to as the Sea Princesses, or her grandchildren. Now, there were six beautiful grandchildren, but the youngest one is the one that you would know most commonly as Ariel. Now, in the story, there's actually no name for the mermaids, but we'll just call her Ariel for now to make it easier to understand. So, with these mermaids, they have very light skin, very clear skin, and deep blue eyes, but they have no feet. The bottom half, waist down, is like a fishtail, which enables them to swim. They play along in the water and all this stuff. So, what happens is that the princesses are all one year apart. And there's a rule that they are not allowed to go to the surface until they hit 15. And it's the year for the first one to go. So... This makes Ariel basically 9 or 10 years old at the time, which is kind of crazy to think about. When the grandmother would tell them stories of the human world, and she would tell stories about what humans are like and all this stuff. And one part that's particularly interesting is she couldn't use the word birds because there are no birds down below. So she would just say fish, fish in the sky, because... Her sea princesses, her grandchildren, have no clue what she would be talking about if she said the word birds. So, the youngest princess, Ariel, desperately wants to go to the top. Desperately wants to go to the surface. And there's a reason why. Because there's a sunken ship that I told you about that Ariel plays around. And in this sunken ship... There's a beautiful marble statue of a lovely boy. And it's, it's carved and it's white and made of stone. 
and Ariel loves to hang around it and to kind of fall in love with the statue. She even goes so far as to Ariel will kiss the statue because it gives her pleasure. Now, while the grandmother constantly tells stories of the top, the grandchildren grow more and more desperate to see what's going on at the top of the surface, but as I mentioned, they're not allowed to go until they hit a certain age, and that age is 15. However, each of the sisters made a pact with the other ones and said when they go to the top, they will come down and tell what their first day was like to the rest of the sisters for them to kind of experience what's going on. Oh, there are two other factors you should know. Mermaids, one, cannot cry. They don't have the ability to cry. And second is that mermaids do not have souls. Apparently, mer people can live to be 300 years old, but when they die, they die. That's it. There's no soul that goes to heaven. And their bodies turn into sea foam, so there's no even grave. There's no grave to bury dead mermaids in because their bodies just turn into this foam. But the mer people do know that humans have souls, and they're envious of it when a human dies. Their soul gets to live on for eternity or another life or whatever. So anyway, it's the first daughter's turn. She goes up to the surface, and she stays by the rocks. But when she comes back down, she tells her sisters that she saw what the moon looks like. And she saw some whales swimming above her, and there were ships and some other things. And when she comes back down, the daughters are enamored by hearing all these stories of moonlight and sandbanks and what a calm sea looks like. So they listen intently, and they're very enthralled by the story. And it keeps going on and on. The second sister, she's a little bit more timid, but she does the same thing. She goes up, and she goes up when it's her birthday, so this is a year later when she turns 15. She goes up and she sees what a sunset looks like, or a sunrise, I forget which. But she says that the sky looked like it was gold, and she had a hard time describing what clouds were, what clouds look like. But, again, another thing that the sisters are very enthralled and enamored by. So, it's now the third sister's turn. She's very bold, so she goes up and she gets actually a little bit closer to the land. She sees what hills look like, and grapevines, and farms, and she sees some of these birds that her grandmother had told her about, but used a different word and used fish. And she wants to play with the birds, but she gets scared, she gets frightened, and before you know it, a dog kind of runs after her just to kind of play, but she's frightened by it, so she comes back in the water. And she tells her sisters about this strange animal called a dog that frightened her. So now it's the fourth sister's turn, and this sister is not very bold. She kind of stayed on the edges of the sea. She didn't really want to get that close 
she looked around and saw some ships and some dolphins and seagulls and decided that was enough for her and she came back on her birthday. So now it's the fifth sister's turn and her birthday was during the winter. So it's a little bit different, but the sea looked different. It was more of a greenish color than a blue and she saw icebergs floating around and they were very different because they're only at the top of the surface. But she sat on one and she watched as ships sailed by. And then that was kind of it. And she saw how the ships had to zigzag to not hit the icebergs. So she came back down and was very enthusiastic about what she saw. So what the other sisters would do is the five sisters for quite some time, they would go arm in arm and all of them would go to the surface together just to see what was happening uh, together and to protect themselves. Additionally, the people were known for their singing, especially the mermaids. So once in a while, what the sisters would do is they would go arm in arm to the top and they had beautiful voices and when there was a storm, they would get in front of the ships and sing. But not to crash the ships. They would get in front of the ships to protect the ships. They would sing directions of how to steer and where to go so that it almost unconsciously affected the sailors who would then turn so they wouldn't crash. Now that's actually a big distinction between the sirens and the mermaids. Mermaids are basically the same as sirens, but they're much more benevolent and much more caring. Whereas sirens, they have a passion for destruction and they want to make sailors crash and to die and to see them in the water. But even though the people tried and the mermaids tried to sing, the sailors obviously could not understand their words but they would hear something during the storm. And unfortunately, the sailors would still crash. And when they would fall over, if they didn't know how to swim, their bodies would float down, down, down to the sea castle. And that's how some of these people knew about human beings. And Ariel, the youngest one, she longed to be 15 because she wants to go to the top so badly. So she does. She finally turns 15 and it's her time to go and to spend her day on the surface, which she has been waiting for her entire life. So her grandmother says, well, before you go, let me dress you up. And her grandmother gives her these petals to wear, these flowers, and it's almost so tight on Ariel that she says it hurts, but her grandmother says, no pain, no gain. Now, Ariel, it's her turn. She says bye, and she goes to the top. And she goes to the top as the sun is rising, so she sees a pink sky, and she even gets a glimpse of a little bit of stars to see what those are and off in the distance she hears music and singing 
and there's a tall ship that's coming by, and there she sees the most beautiful prince. He has light skin, black hair, and black eyes, and he's there singing and dancing with his other sailors. And Ariel, she's not very afraid, so she gets very, very close to the ship, and she watches. And while the other mer mermaids would have been frightened, she is very curious about what's happening. And she sees fireworks and shooting off as the rest of the day goes by with the ship still there. But yet, the day grew late. And Ariel could not take her eyes off of the ship or the prince. She saw the lanterns going away. And she saw the ship kind of increasing its speed to move. But there were clouds. And a terrible storm was coming. And the water rose so high. And for Ariel, she thought it was just fun. But it caused the ship to crash. The waves and the water were so turbulent that it threw the prince into the water. Zariel dives after him, and she is able to hold his arms and his legs, and she's able to bring him to the land. Now, what she does is he's alive, but she's holding the prince's head in her arms by her chest with his head there as he kind of resuscitates but he's still knocked out if anything she wanted to protect him more than her own life so the morning comes and Ariel is able to use the light from the sun to look on his face and she says that he looks just like the boy in the marble statue that she has down below in the sea but as the prince starts to awaken, a bunch of other young girls come running out of a nearby church. And Ariel is scared, so what she does is she hides behind a rock. Now, one of these girls, she spots the prince, and she goes up to him, and she puts her hand on his face to wake him up. And there, the prince is woken up, and he sees the girl, and... He's kind of confused as to what happened. So they take him up and they eventually bring him back to his castle to be healed and treated and whatnot. So now Ariel goes back into the water. She goes down and she tells her sisters about what she saw, but she doesn't tell them that she interacted with a human being, let alone that it was a prince and that she actually saved a human being. But she knows that if she were to do that, her grandmother and her father would not have any of it and would not allow her back to the surface ever, ever again. But as the day goes by, Ariel thinks about the prince more and more and more. He's in her head, he's in her heart, and she can only think about that. The marble statue doesn't mean anything to her anymore. All she wants is to be with the prince. So sometimes she'll go up to the top 
and she'll watch him as he sails in his boat, playing music and waving flags, and she'll wish that she could be with him. And it kind of starts to get to her. The more and more she sees him, the more fond she grows of him. And she asks her grandmother about more about human beings, and she asks, so what happens to them? If they don't drown, do they live forever? And the grandmother says, no, no, no. Humans must die. They have a shorter life than we do. We live for about 300 years. They don't live as long, but we don't have a soul. So when we die, we just become sea foam and contribute back to the ocean. Whereas humans, their soul allows them to carry on forever and ever. It's an immortal soul. And this makes Ariel very, very sad because she doesn't have a soul and she can't be with this human. However, what happens is the grandmother says this when Ariel asks, well, is there a way for her to get a soul? The grandmother says, no. Only if you become so dear to a human that you meant more to him than his father and mother, if he clung to you with all his mind and heart, and if you let the minister lay his right hand in yours with promises of faithfulness here and for all eternity, then his soul would flow into your body, and you would share in the happiness of humanity. So there, Ariel understands if she can make the prince fall in love with her not only are they in love but part of his soul transfers into her body giving her a soul so now she can be immortal as well and live with him forever so she has a plan and she leaves to go execute her plan as she's swimming, she goes to an area, a dark area in the water where she's usually not allowed to be. And as she goes there, there are hands, these dark hands, just trying to reach out and grab Ariel out of the coral. And she is frightened as she goes past them. There are these corals and these polyps that try to grab her hair. And it makes her even gasp, and it's too kind of frightening for her. And there she sees the sea witch. Now in Disney, her name is Ursula, but in the story, she's just called the sea witch. So Ariel sees a sea witch, and the first thing the witch says is, I know what you want. And she says, you came just in time. Now... The sea witch explains to her that I can give you a drink, and if I give you this drink, you have to drink it after sunrise tomorrow, and it'll be extremely painful. Your tail will split into two legs, but it will hurt when you walk on them. It'll feel like you're stepping on knives, but you'll still be able to dance. You'll be a fantastic dancer and it'll feel as if you're floating or well, you'll look as if you're floating on land but blood will flow from your legs and you'll suffer all of this if you want my help 
And Ariel says, yes. She says she wants it all. And the witch says, but remember, once you take a human shape, you're never going to become a mermaid again. That's it. You will not be able to come to your father's castle. You will not be able to see your sisters, your grandmother, your family. That's it. Also, there's another clause in this. The first morning after the prince marries someone else, your heart will break and you will die and you will become sea foam again. But Ariel is confident in herself and she says, I want to do it. And so the witch says, okay, but what do I get out of this? And Ariel's confused. She says, well, I don't know what you mean. She says, well, what payment do I get? And Ariel says, I, I don't know what I can give you. I don't really have anything. And the witch says, you do have something. You have the most gracious voice I've ever heard. You can bewitch many people with this voice. So give me your voice. And Ariel says, my voice, but if I don't have my voice, how am I going to deal with this prince? How am I going to get him to fall in love with me? And the sea witch says, well, you have your appearances. Ursula would say you have body language. But the sea witch says you have your appearance, and with your appearance alone, that should be enough to make any man fall in love with you. So, Ariel agrees. And what happens is the witch says, well, the reason why I need payment is because I need to suffer a little bit to make this drink. So the witch takes a knife and she cuts herself right under her bosom and black blood flows out of her and the witch collects it into a vial. She turns it into a drink after boiling it in a kettle and it sounds, the curdling of it sounded like crocodiles kind of almost crying if you could imagine that. And the witch gives Ariel this vial of black ooze. And she says, there you are. But now she has to do one more thing. The witch cuts out the tongue of the little mermaid. So now Ariel cannot speak, nor can she sing. Now as Ariel is going, trying to swim her way back, Again, those polyps that would have reached out to her try to, they at first would have grabbed her, but they see that she has this vial in her. So the arms retract back because they know that they do not want to touch that thing at all. Otherwise, it'll mean more death for them. Now, Ariel, the last thing she does is she swims back to her father's castle and there she takes one last look she sees the lights in the dancing hall and she knows everyone is sleeping and she says goodbye by blowing a lot of kisses towards the castle but it's almost sunrise so she goes back up to the top now what happens is Ariel 
sits on a rock in the water. She waits for the sunrise, and there she drinks the black vial. And immediately, she feels a stinging pain. It's so excruciating, and her tail splits into two human legs, and it hurts her so much. And as she's in pain, the prince notices her off his sailboat. So he comes to her, and he, he sees her, and he wraps her up, and he saves her. But Ariel is happy to see the prince's face. So after rescuing her, he puts her in his castle, and he treats Ariel very, very well. She's able to eat whatever she wants, and she's dressed properly and all this stuff. And the prince loves how she looks. He's in love with her appearance. But she cannot talk, nor does she really know the language, so she can't really write as well. Now, what happens is they're at a banquet, and the prince owns slaves. So he has these slave girls come out and dance in front of him. And they're dancing and they're moving. And Ariel looks at the face of the prince and she sees how happy he is to see these other girls dancing. So she gets up and she goes on the dance floor. And she spins and twirls as if she were walking on air. And everyone is impressed by her dancing. They can't believe that she's that good. However, with every step, it feels like it's a sharp knife that Ariel is stepping on. But she hides it because for her to see the prince smile from her dancing pales in comparison to the pain that she is feeling from each step. Now, each night, Ariel would go to the marble steps and she would sit there and she would look across the water. And one day there were her sisters, each of them. And since mermaids can't cry, they sang, but they sang so sadly as they swam across the water looking at Ariel up in her tower. And her grandmother and her father were there too, but they were more timid about humans, so they were further out into the edge of the sea. But she could see them. She could especially see the crown on her father's head. And they stretched out their arms to her, but they knew they couldn't get closer to land. So every day, Ariel would become dearer to the prince, who would fall more and more and more for her. And with her eyes, Ariel would try to communicate to the prince, Don't you love me? Don't you love me most of all? And the prince would say in his eyes, Yes, I love you the best. You have the kindest heart. You're the most devoted to me. And you look like the young girl that I once saw. The prince actually did say that. He said, you know, you look like the girl that saved me almost when I was crashed and I woke up in front of that church. But that woman, that is the one that I am in love with. She saved me. So I want to marry her. And it kind of 
pains Ariel, but it also makes her happy because she knows that, oh, that girl that saved you, that's me. But the fact that the prince doesn't know it's her makes her feel like she wants to cry, but yet she can't. So, the next day, there's a terrible rumor. The rumor is that the prince is to be married to a woman. And Ariel is very scared about this. And she looks sad, and the prince goes up to her. And the prince says, you don't have to be afraid. There's no way I'm going to fall in love with this woman as much as I love you. And with that, the prince kisses her on the mouth, plays with her hair, and he leaves. By the way, the prince, he, he pulled some strings, I guess, so that Ariel was allowed to sleep outside in the hall, outside of his door. Because they're too young, I guess, to share a bed or whatever. But anyway, that's a little point. So the prince goes to meet his bride. And Ariel is kind of at the castle alone. And over time, it's announced that the prince has returned in the moonlight. And she's so happy to go see him. But something's wrong. The prince looks happy. She can't believe it. What's going on? And the prince sees her. He's with his potential bride. And he says, it's you. You're the one that saved me on the beach. And it's so confusing. But what it is, is when Ariel saved the prince and she hid behind a rock, there were a bunch of girls that came out of a church, and one of those girls saw the prince and woke him up. And that girl is a princess from another kingdom. So they were inadvertently arranged to be married, and the prince believes that she is the one that saved him. So he's ready to be with her. And Ariel cannot believe it. She felt her heart break for the first time ever. And as church bells are ringing for the next day, Ariel sits there, sad, because she knows she won't mean anything to the prince, but she knows that after this day, after the first day of their wedding, that Ariel is going to die. That's the deal that she made with the sea witch. So for her, when she walks, she feels these sharp knives digging into her feet, but it means nothing compared to the sharp knife digging into her heart. And she knows it's her last day on earth at all. So she looks out to the water, and there she sees her sisters again. And her sisters look different. Their hair has been cut off, all of them. And they say to her, Ariel, we made a deal with the sea witch. We gave her our hair, and in return, she has a way for you to become a mermaid again. Here is a knife. You need to take this knife, and you need to plunge it into the heart of the prince before 
sunset. If you do, the warmth from the prince's blood will go onto your legs and it'll turn you into a mermaid again. And you can be with us, you could be with grandma, you'll be with dad again in the whole entire kingdom. And they give her the knife. Now, there's a moment where the prince and the princess, the new one, because they're married, where they're sleeping. And Ariel draws back the purple curtain. And she walks, and she holds a knife right over the prince's heart. And she's ready to plunge it. But she can't do it. She looks at his face, and she realizes that she still loves him despite all of this. So, she throws the knife away. Then she comes to grips with what is going to happen. The sun is about to set. She looks at it. She hears the voices of her sisters, so sad as they know that she's going to go away. And there her body starts to turn into sea foam. She'll just be gone. But she hears a voice. And the voice says, you will become a daughter of the air. And she says, what is going on? So essentially because Ariel had done so much to show love and to do good that these air goddesses or these beings or whatever took pity on her and they're going to transport her and make Ariel instead of just turning into sea foam they will make her a daughter of the air as they call it so Ariel with the daughters of the air they will fly to warm countries and they bring cool breezes to help people feel content with where they live and what will happen is Ariel will have to do this labor with these daughters of the air for 300 years and after that she can earn an immortal soul and feel just like a human with their soul so with that Ariel lifts up her arms she becomes from sea foam, she becomes this daughter of the air, and she does her work, and she waits for 300 years in order to have her soul go into heaven. And that is the original story of The Little Mermaid.